Now, I want to start my message this morning with a story, a story about myself. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, I work for a transport company in London as an engineer. And I've worked there now for about just under 13 years. And I've really enjoyed it for the most part. And about three, three and a half years ago, I applied for a senior engineering position. And I, God blessed me and I got that role. And it was certainly God's will for my life. It was a really great role. I got to work with lots of great people. And really, it's been great for my career. I've already got one. Thank you. Um, And it's been a real blessing to be in that role. Now, about a year and a half ago, my business decided they needed to change the way they work. And they wanted to transform the business, partly to save money and for us to work more efficiently. And of course, when you've you've ever been in a part of an organisation that goes for a big change, I had to do what most people have to do in those situations. I had to reapply for my job. So I got my assessment pack and I filled out my questions and I put my CV and I put all my experience down. And then when it came to picking what roles I'd like to have, I thought, well, I'd like to be a senior engineer because that's what I am already. It's what I've worked to be. And so I put a couple of senior positions and I had one other choice left. So I thought, well, I'll just put it as a normal engineer and that's, that'll be okay. And I put my application in and I wasn't worried at all. Um, I knew God was in control of it and I was, probably wasn't going to lose my job or anything like that. And my, my team manager was very encouraged and said, you've got nothing to worry about. You'll get through the process fine. So off we go. Now, a few months later, I get an email in the afternoon that says, congratulations, you're part of the new organization. You've been given the role of engineer. And I looked at that email. I closed the email. I walked away. I came back. I opened that email again. I closed it. I closed my computer down and I went home. Now, before you kind of think I bunked off work, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. But I was really, really gutted to basically get demoted through this transformation process. And I came home and I was really frustrated. I moaned Alice. I went back in the next day. I got my boss and I moaned at him and sort of said, well, what's happened here? Why have I been, uh, why have I been demoted? And he was like, well, there just there wasn't enough senior engineer positions to go around. And unfortunately, um, you weren't one of them. Uh, but don't worry, kind of keep going. And, and obviously, I got quite fed up with the whole process. Um, but I kind of went away and I thought about it. I prayed about it. I spoke to some other people and thought, well, that's all right. I'll just keep going to business. And next time there's a chance to get promoted, I'll apply for it. And I'm sure I'm next in the line. It'll all be, I'll get, it'll be, all be okay. We move forward in time. They advertise some senior engineering positions in my department. I think, great, this is my opportunity to get promoted again. So I put my application in, I get an interview, I go for the interview, and I do a really good interview. I know I answer all the questions really well, and I kind of, um, I think I've done, I've, made sure I've prepared properly, and I think it goes really well. And I'm feeling quite pleased about this. And some, some of the senior managers have been talking to me, saying they're really pleased with the work that I've been doing. And they're kind of really impressed with what I've, been, what I've been doing. So I'm sitting there thinking, it's all going to be good, and I'm going to get this promotion. Guess what happens? I get an email that says, thank you for applying, but unfortunately, you've not been successful. And I was really, really gutted. I was really annoyed. And I remember I, I, I moaned at Alice. I phoned up my dad. I moaned at my dad. I spoke to Tim. I moaned at Tim. And I was just thinking, well, what is going on with my business? I've worked hard. I've got the knowledge. I've got the experience. I've got all the skills. Why am I not being promoted? Why have I not been recognised for what I've, been, what I've achieved? 
And I started thinking, well, maybe this is God saying to me, I need to, it's time to leave the business. Maybe I need to start looking elsewhere. And so I was kind of thinking along these lines. And then, in my daily reading, I read this passage. And it's in the 1 John chapter 2. Okay. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important. I read that and I knew God was speaking to me. And this is the reason why I was so upset about it. Is I wanted to be important at work. I felt I deserved to be important. As I said, I had all the skills and all the knowledge and experience required to be senior, and I wanted for that to get recognised, and for my peers to see that, and for other people in the business to look at me and to see my email signature and to say, yeah, Mark Cross, senior engineer, and to get the reward I felt I deserved. But I knew God was looking at me and saying, you've got this love that you want to be important. And through going through this thing, it exposed this love I had, the love to be, that was more to be important at work than to, to love God, than just to accept that God doesn't care what my job title is at work. That God doesn't care what I do, um, the, the responsibilities I have at work. He cares about me, and, and I should not care what other people at work think about me, whether they think less of me or more of me because of what I am. But I should, be, I should care about what God thinks of me. And I knew I had to come and repent and to come and to deal with this idol in my life. And, and so I did that. I went down, I got down to God and I repented. I said, come and deal with this in me. The wanting to appear important. And praise God, he has been dealing with me. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm kind of working through this. Now there is a positive end to this story. Because having gone through this, a few weeks later, I got a phone call from HR. And it basically went something like this. Basically, we offered the job to somebody else because they were better than you, but they didn't want it. Would you like it instead? <laughs> so I, sw I swallowed my pride and said, yeah, no, I'll take that job. I'll do it. So the Lord has blessed me, so I'm now a senior engineer at work. But I knew, but I know that God took me through that process to expose an, something in my life that I didn't know was there. Because if I'd been promoted for the transformation, so if I kept my promotion in transformation or been promoted straight away, I wouldn't have known about this. It would have remained hidden in my life. And this is what I want to preach on for us this morning. Do we love the world and the things in it more than we love God? So I'm going to read that passage again, but this time I'm going to use the New Living Translation. Let's look at verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. 
Do not love the world. You see, this is a command that John has given us. It's a command that Jesus gave as well. It's a command that God gave back to the people of Israel. Do not love anybody else but me. And I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that this is a command. And we think it's something that maybe it's just optionally extra. That maybe we can, we can love God, but we can still lo- love lots of other things as well. But no. It's a command that says, do not love the world. Do not love the things in it. Tim shared earlier on about the, the Ten Commandments. The first one, to love the Lord your God. What's the next command that God gives to people? No idea. It's do not have any other gods but me. And the, third command, the next commandment after that is do not make an idol that you want to worship and you're going to love and serve. And God is saying to us, have nothing else but me and me only. It's a command. It's not something we get to choose. You see, the way God has made us, he has made us people who serve, who want to serve something. Now, we might feel like we don't want to serve something or we, we, we fight against the idea, but it's who we are as humans. We want to come and to love something and to serve it and to give ourselves to it. It's the way we're made because we're meant to fill that space with God. But you look out in the world, the world will fill that space with hundreds of other different things. And the world loves to serve stuff, even though it might not say it like that. I mean, we've had some recent uh, protesters up in London all these, uh, for the environmental thing, um, concerns. And these are people who, who want to serve the environment and want to come and give themselves to that. I mean, the world, it loves to serve beauty, doesn't it? The world really puts beauty up on a pedestal. You know, if you realise this, if you look at the TV and the films that we watch, they're all full of beautiful people, aren't they? And if you're an actor who's really ugly, you're going to struggle. Where if you're an actor who's really beautiful, you've got a great chance of being successful because it celebrates beauty and it wants to serve that and to celebrate it. Because we serve what we love. We serve what the things that we love, which is why God wants us to love him and him only, because it means we're just going to serve him and nothing else. We're not going to get distracted by the things of the world. We've been people who are made to serve. And you see, and when we love the world more than we love God, we're doing two things. Firstly, we are hurting ourselves. We're causing ourselves pain. We're causing ourselves uh, um, yeah, so we, we are affecting the way that we live. And I want to go into some more about this uh, a bit later in my, in my talk. But the other thing that we do when we, when, we, when we love the world more is that we actually, we're offending God. So that we offend God when we do that. Because what we are saying is that, God, you are not enough for me. I need something else in my life. Or I need these other things or this other person in my life. You are not good enough. That These things are better than you. They can serve me better. They can love me better than you can. And is that, is that true this morning? Can these things do that? No. God is the one who loves us best. God is the one who has the most for us. And we don't want to be people who are offending God. And God wants, um, we've been, as we've been worshipping this morning, we've been, we've been looking at... Um, God's been speaking about worry. And if we're putting our trust in all these, other, all these other things we have, all these other loves we have in our life, they're not going to be able to save us. 
God's the only one who can, who can do that, who we can trust, who we know that can look after us. And so God doesn't want us to be people who love the world more than him. So let's look at some of the areas where we love the world. And you see here it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from, the, uh, from this world. You see, there are three areas that we suffer from with, with other loves. One is our physical pleasure and our physical needs. And the second is our possessions and the materialistic things that we have. And the third is the pride that we have in ourselves and our achievements and our importance. And from out of these things, we can make so many different idols. And what's very interesting about these three areas is these are the areas that the enemy is going to use to attack us the most with. And that he is the, these are the things that he's going to fight the most. And I think everything that we struggle with falls in one of these three categories. And if you read Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and you read about the temptation of Jesus, you see that the devil uses these same three things to try and tempt Jesus. So Jesus has gone out at the start of his ministry, goes out into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, the devil comes to him, and he tempts him on three things. The first thing he says, why didn't you turn that rock into bread? Because what he's saying, you've been fasting for 40 days, you must be really hungry, and your physical need is to eat. Well, just command that bit of rock to turn into bread and you can eat and you can satisfy yourself. So he's focused on his physical needs and pleasures. What does Jesus say? No. No. And the second thing that the devil tempts Jesus with is he says to him, look at all these kingdoms of the world. They all, they all belong to me, but if you come and bow down, I'll give them to you. And you can control everything. You can be in charge of everything. You can have all these possessions of the world. I'll give it all to you. Just bow down. See, he's focused on this next area of possessions and, and, and the things that we want and need. Of course, Jesus says no to that. And the third thing, he tries to tempt Jesus in the area of pride. As he says, look, go to the top of the temple, throw yourself, out, throw yourself off it, and command all the angels to come and save you. And then everybody in Jerusalem will see who you really are. They'll see that you are the Son of God and that the whole of heavens are at your command. And they'll see how important you are and how great you are. And that's it. Jesus says, no. And you see, the enemy is going to come at us in these three areas, just like he came at Jesus. So when we have these loves, what they can do, they can become other gods. They can become idols that we end up serving and worshipping and bowing down to. Now, of course, in our culture in Britain in 2019, we don't really have man-made idols so much in this country. Like little statues or big statues that we go and we bow down to. We don't have it. We don't come every, every time we come to church. We don't come and bow down to the cross as we come in. Um, and in our homes, none of us would necessarily have little crosses that we'd go and bow down to. But obviously, in other cultures and in, and in biblical times, it would have been the general practice of most religions to have little idols, images of their gods. They would come and they would bow down to and they would worship and serve. I know when we, um, when we were younger, we went to Thailand. And in that culture, they have lots of gods. And you'd go out in the street and you'd see these big temples with these big kind of um, 
shrines they set up where people come and bring food and they burn things for them. And I'm sure some of you guys who've been to India, it would have been a very similar thing. You could see all the idols around. Where in this country, in this culture, we don't really have that. Particularly, you don't kind of walk down the street and see all these offering, all these idols we have. And so we kind of think, well, what are idols then? What are these things that we love? And I think sometimes we, we look at these as the kind of the big three things. Or when it comes to physical, physical pleasure, we look at the whole area of sex and our sexual desires and our sexual needs. And we kind of say, well, that's what that idol is, it's sex. And when we come to, mater- um, to possession, it's all about money, about having as much money as we can in order to have uh, as much possession as we can so we can have a bigger TV, a bigger car, a bigger house, etc. And when it comes to pride, we can kind of say, well, this is power, isn't it? That we want more power. We want to be more important. We want to control more things. We want to be um, seen to be great amongst lots of other people. But I think if we just think idols are just those three big things, the three obvious ones, then we're, we're not understand, our understanding of, of what an idol is is not complete. You see, an idol can be absolutely anything. It could be something really ungodly, it could be something that looks very godly, but we can make an idol out of anything. Humans are absolutely fantastic at doing that. And it could be something that's really big, it could be something that's really small, or it could be something that's really, really, really tiny, that doesn't look like an idol. And what an idol is, it's something within our, in our hearts where we say, this thing or this person gives me value. This, per- this thing or this person gives me worth. It gives my life meaning to have this thing in my life. And if anybody or God tries to take it away from me, then I'm going to fight. I'm not going to let go of that. That thing is mine, and I don't know how I would live without it. And so it could be absolutely anything, and it can be things which we end up loving more than God. We end up wanting those things more than God or that person. or We end up desiring that thing. We end up treasuring it. We end up enjoying it more than God. And really, an idol is anything that is more than God in our lives. And if I was to ask you, what are the idols in your life? You might think, well, what is this, what is that? Or you, you might not know. As I think a lot of the time about idols, certainly for us who have been Christians a long time, and a bit more um, mature in the, in the Lord, is that these idols are not the big obvious things, because we've dealt with those, and we know that we're on we're control of those things. We're not out there trying to get as much sex as we can or trying to earn as much money as we can or trying to be super important. But often they can be the little things in our life. And often they can be hidden, can't they? The things that we don't know they're there. Like for me, I'm wanting to appear important at work. I didn't know that was there until God brought us about a situation that exposed it. And there's a story in the Old Testament, and I can't remember the name of this guy, but the children of Israel had been given the Ten Commandments and told to conquer the land. And they went to one city and God said, you've got to destroy all the idols in that place. You've got to get them and destroy them and burn them and get rid of them completely because I don't want you to have anything to do with those. But there was one guy in the, in, in, in the, among the Israelites who saw something that he liked. So he took it and he hid it and he took it back to his tent and he dug a hole in it and he, he buried them and he hid them. So no one else could see that they were there. But God saw and God knew and God had to come and deal with those idols in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the camp before the people of Israel could move on. And so we have idols that are hidden that we might not know about. And I want to go through some examples of some idols um, 
that I've have kind of maybe not appear like idols on the surface to kind of get us to think. And for us, and as I'm going through them, I'd like you to, and encourage you to ask God, what are the idols in my life? What are those things that I love more than you, God? And so um, just bear with me as we kind of go through these. So the first thing I'd like to talk about is sleep. You might think, what? What? But I, sleep what has been an idol in my life. Now, I'm a little bit vain, and the Lord is, is trying to deal with me over that. And I went through a period, or, or still do sometimes, where I get, quite ba- I get a lot of bags under my eyes. And it's a mix of the fact that I'm, uh, of my illness and the medication I take, and the fact that I have four young uh, children. I don't always get enough sleep, as much sleep as I should. And I went through a, t- a period where I was really worried about the bags under my eyes, and I wanted them to go. So sleep become ultra-important to me because the more sleep I had, the less the banks would show up and I'd try and get rid of them. And it got to the point that I was sleeping in in the mornings and, um, when I should have been getting up to pray because I was trying to get extra sleep. And it became such a, a big thing about me and I got really stressed about it and got really upset about it. And I realised that sleep, I was loving that more. I was desiring that more in order to look better more than God. I knew and I, I had to kind of pray about it and I had to kind of let God come and deal with me and so now sleep is something that I love to love I love but it's not an idol in my life another another idol in my life has been cycling now I absolutely love cycling and I'm so thankful to Pat and the others for getting me into cycling as I honestly I love getting on my bike I love riding it's really enjoyable helps keep me fit and healthy and I'm going to get to hang out with my friends doing it and it's such an enjoyable activity but there has been desires there in, my, in myself in order, because I want to get better at cycling. I want to get faster. I want to get stronger. I want to achieve my next goal. And it got to the point, uh, and it can get to the point with cycling, where sometimes when I'm sitting there praying for the Lord, uh, praying in my quiet times, I start thinking about cycling. And what, I'm neg- how, what hill am I next going to attack? And how am I going to do that? And how am I going to beat Terry and pat up that hill? Or I'll be sitting in the sermon and someone's preaching their heart out and I'm sitting there drifting off going, well, what route should I go next week? Where should I go? Where, 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 where would be really fun to do? And it starts to take over my life and become something that I love more than God. And I enjoy, enjoy cycling more than I enjoy being in God's presence. And God has had to, to deal with me over that. And this year, um, we, we're going on a cycling trip. So in eight weeks' time, you'll notice quite a lot of us guys won't be here. We'll be, this time in eight weeks, we'll be cycling around Belgium, having lots of fun. But this year, I know, when I'm training for that, I'm not looking to be the fastest or the best. I'm just looking to have fun this year. As I know, because I don't want that to become my joy in cycling. I want God to be my joy. Hey, here are some others. Because I think when it becomes, um, when we look at uh, and we read about how we take pride in our importance, Sometimes I want to turn turn it upside down. It's not so much that we take pride in being super important, but we take pride in being super needed by others. And that becomes an idol in our life because it's something that is good to be a blessing to others and to help others. But when we take our value in how much others need us, and when we wake up in the morning thinking, right, how can I help this person? How can I help that person? And that becomes your life then that has become what is something that looks quite good has actually become something very bad. It's become an idol. And maybe there are some people here where they know that takes great importance in their life about being needed rather 
than just letting, just following God's will for their life and just helping people when God is encouraging you to do that. Another idol can be our family. Now, in this church, we love families, and it's something that we really want to encourage families, we want to bless families, we want to encourage healthy marriages and healthy kids um, and to grow up and to know the Lord. But when your family is becoming greater than God, that's a problem. If you are saying, no, God, I can't do this because of my family, because um, my fa- I've, got, I've got to do this for my family, or I can't put my family situation like that, or I can't um, uh, leave my kids like that, or I can't do this or that because of my family, then what you're saying is my family, I love them more, they're more important than you, God. I treasure those more. And God is saying, no, we've been blessed with families but sometimes we are called, and I'm not saying you should completely abandon your family all the time, but at points, if God is saying you've got to go and do this, and it means that your family is going to suffer, maybe your wife or your husband is going to suffer from that, if you are saying, no, I can't do that, and it means you're, you're putting your value of your family above God. And when it comes to our possessions, I think a lot of us as Christians are really good at saying, well, we're not looking to get loads more money. I'm not fussed about having a, bag, a bigger TV or a bigger car or a bigger house. But God, if you try and take those things away from me that you've given, uh-uh, I'm not interested. Because some of us here have been blessed immensely with our possessions. I know, for me and Alice, our house was just the biggest blessing from God. We got a house, we spent ages looking for a house, and eventually we found one that was in a great location that met all our needs for a ridiculously low price. And we got it. That was a blessing from God, our house. It can't be anything else. But as soon as we start saying, where well, our house is... We're not going to let go of our house. We're never going to sell our house. We're never going to give up our house because it's too important. Then we are saying that our house is more, is, um, the blessing of our house is better than the bless all. And I think as Christians, certainly for us maturer ones, we can really struggle in this area. And I think as soon as we start saying the blessing is better than the bless all, then we have made an idol out of the things that God has given us. What about our, and I think this has already been mentioned, what about our feelings that we have or the emotions that we have? That we saying, well, I need to feel better, therefore I need to have that glass of wine every night, or I need to eat that ice cream, or I need to watch this TV programme, I need this. Because then what you're saying is you need that more than you need God. Or maybe you've had some, some bad feelings and you, you want to hold on to them because you say, well, that's how I get my value and my identity because of these things that have happened to me. And what God is, if that is you this morning, if you are holding on to something because you say, I can't let that go because that is who I am. That's my identity. What I want to say this morning, God's got a new identity for you. He's got a new heart and a new plan for you and it doesn't involve the past and you need to let go of the past and not let it become an idol which you love more than you are loving than you love God. Or maybe it's your arrogance or your need to be right all the time. That has become your idol in your life. And you're saying, I want to be right all the time. I can't bear not to be. I can't let my, my situation or my face show. I've got to appear like everything's okay. And if you put that above God and you're saying, that's what I'm going to worship, what I, um, how I think and how I've got to be right, then you're losing out. As you see, somebody, and, or maybe it's the goals or the aims that we have in life. And I'm, again, having goals and, and aims um, in, our, in our Christian life, 
in our work life, in our family, are really good things for us to do. But when, and it might even be really godly things that God has given you, but when they become bigger in your life than God, when you treasure those more, when you desire those goals, uh, those goals more than you desire God, it has become an idol. And God might have said to you, um, you might have this godly goal of wanting to save 100 people in your lifetime. And you think that's a fantastic thing to do. What a godly goal to have. But if your life becomes about serving that goal and seeing um, all those people saved rather than serving God, then all you're doing is serving an idol instead of the, the God. You're serving what they're trying to save rather than the actual saviour. And the last one I want to mention is sometimes we can make an idol out of our spiritual and structures and systems that we put in place. Now, I will forever be preaching the importance of reading your Bible and praying every day and coming to church because these are all really godly things. But I think for us as Christians, it's so easy to fall in a trap and to start to think, well, if I get up and read my Bible and I pray every day and I come to church and I do this and I do that, then I'm okay. Then I'm right with God if I do these things. And what we find, that all we, all we become when we start doing that, we start thinking like that, is that we have made an idol out of this really godly good practices. And we are looking at those and our own actions to save us rather than the saviour. Because we know that our works can't save us. Our works count for nothing. And if we are looking to them and say, well, if I do this, I'm okay, I'm all right, then we are missing out. And we have made something that we shouldn't have done. We are not loving the Lord with all our heart. We have made a God out of something else and we are worshipping and serving that. And you see, God really, really doesn't want that. And if we look at verse 17, it says this, And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You see, this world is fading away. This world is going I don't know how long that's going to be. It might be 100 years, it might be 1,000 years, it might be 5,000 years, we don't know. But we know this, the truth, that this world is, is dying. It's, um, this world is on the way out. And God doesn't want us to put our trust, to build our lives upon something which is dead and dying. He wants us to come and to build our life upon in him and him only and to come and to love him and nothing else because he wants us to, to build for the eternal. You see, when we start to build on this life and just look around and look at what we can have and what we can build up to keep us safe and secure, all we are doing is building sandcastles in the beach. Because you can build a sand castle. Now people could build these fantastic sand sculptures that look absolutely amazing. But what happens? The tide comes in. The sea comes in. It doesn't matter how big or how amazing your sand castle is. Eventually the sea will come and wash it all away and it'll be gone. And if we have got lots of idols or we've got some idols in the world, eventually they will come. And they won't be out there. They will be destroyed and they'll be taken away. And the thing is that idols can't meet our needs. Our idols can't save us. The amount of money you have in the bank account, the amount of um, good works that you do, the amount of how great your family is, they cannot save you. They cannot meet all of your needs. They cannot meet all of your, all that you 
that God has for you. Only God can, which is why he wants us to come and love him and him only. And we need to be Christians, and we need to be people of the River Church who are not looking at this world and the things around it, the things that we can have or the things that will make us better or feel happier. We need to be looking at the eternal. We need to be looking at God and what is going on in the eternal realm and what we are building there. You see, Jesus said in his teachings, he said, don't build your treasure here on earth where the moths can come and eat it, where the rust can come and destroy it, where the thieves can come and take it. Instead, build your treasure in heaven where the moths can't destroy it, where the rust can't take it, where the thieves can't get it. And asking us the question this morning, are we building for the eternal? Are we building in the heavenly realms of things that, that, um, that will never be taken away from us? Because it doesn't matter what we have in the lifetime. This doesn't matter. And we get so caught up in looking around ourselves and our own lives and all the things that we have or don't have, all the things that we need or don't need, that we forget to look up. And so often as Christians, we're looking down, looking around. And we need to be looking at what treasures are we storing in heaven. You see, are we people that love God more than this world and the things of it? You see, we love God by obeying him. This is how it finishes. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And so if we follow God and love only him, we're going to please him. We're going to honour him. We're not going to offend him. Instead, we're going to give him the glory that he deserves. And so I want to ask you, are are you following God in the things in your life? Are you obeying him in those things that he's saying, hang on a sec, Steve, I want to take that away from you. You're saying, no, God, you're not having that. Or God's saying, I've got this new plan for you, Connor. Are you willing to step into it? And you're saying, I quite like it where I am. It's all good. Because you see, we as as, as humans are so good at holding on to things. You notice that? Hold on, I want to let go of that. That's mine. And and we've been, uh, Tim has been teaching us about God's plan for us. I listened to his sermon about our inheritance. And you hear, and we've been hearing about God's inheritance for us and how it is so fantastic and how it's so amazing. But in order for us to go in to step into that and to receive it, we need to let go of our lives. We need to let go of our idols. And we need to say, well, God, I'm going to start to look to you and to only you. Now, we've, um, I've recently bought a new laptop. And, and our old laptop, right, is over 10 years old. Uh, and half the keys are missing. And when you press the power button, you have to give it about 15 minutes for it to load up. And then when you click on something, you have to give that another two minutes. And the internet doesn't work, the wireless doesn't work on it, so you have to leave it plugged in. The battery lasts about 10 minutes, so it's always got to be plugged. It's basically just a desktop computer. And we've been saving up, and, we've, and I've been looking really hard for a laptop, and I bought a new one. And I tell you what, I've, I've got to be careful it doesn't become an idol in my life, because I really love that laptop. It's amazing. You press the power button, two seconds later, it's opened. It's amazing. And I think so often we as Christians are happy to live with an old rubbish laptop. And instead, God said, well, I've got this brand new spanking new one. Look how amazing it is. Look how fast it is. Look how great it is. And we say, no, I want to hold on to this, this rubbish thing that I have. Are we prepared as Christians to let go and to look up and to come and to receive what God has for us? Do we want it? Do we want to receive that inheritance. And I want to challenge us this morning. Do you have idols in your life? And there might not be these great, big, massive things in your life. 
But it doesn't matter whether they're just tiny things. Are there things that you love more than God? Things that you want more than God? Things that you desire more than God? Things that you treasure more than God? Things that you enjoy more than Because if there's anything in your life that is more than God, it is an idol. And God wants to come and deal with it this morning. God wants to come and take it and remove it from your life so you don't have the love for the world. You have the love for him only. And you can come and you can get all these things from God. And for do that, we need, to need to, we need to let go. We need to let go of ourselves. We need to let go of our lives. We need to let go of our own self-centeredness. And we need to lay aside our striving for advantage, our striving to be secure, to be safe, to be happy. We need to lay aside our pleasures seeking for ourselves in order that we might come and love and serve God and serve God only. Because that's when we'll start to really experience his life. That's when we'll start to really experience his peace um, and his joy. And as we've been talking about, um, has been said about worry. And the reason why we sometimes worry about this thing is because we're holding on. And of course, if you're worried about how much money you have in the bank, and that's what you're holding on, that's your idol about how much money you have, that's not going to save you. That's not going to um, give you peace. Well, if you come to God, and as Tim read this morning, uh, from the thing that God cares completely about you. He knows your situation in and out. He's able to give you a million pounds through the letterbox if you need it, if that's what you needed. He's able to supply every single one of your needs. But if you're holding on to your idol of money, you'll never experience that peace of trusting God because you're trying to trust and look to something else instead. And we need to be Christians that look upwards. And this is old hymn, and it's got a chorus. And the chorus goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let nobody else take his place. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Those words are true. As I know, the things that I've had, idols in my life, when I've let go of them and I've given them to God and I've looked to him, I care less and less about them to the point they don't even bother me anymore. I'm not saying that I'm not particularly interested in because of God. And God is always better than the things that we have. And never let this, if you're listening to a lie that says this thing is not as good as God, then that's a lie this morning. You need to believe the truth that God is more than that. God can meet our every need. God can meet our every um, desire. God can, is enough for us. God is all that we need. And if God is not all in all in your life, then you just come and repent. You need to come and let go of these idols. You need to start looking up towards heaven. And you need to come and to receive his power in your life to let go of these things. I'd like to finish here. And I think it would be really good for us to respond to this word this morning. This word from God that he wants us to be people who love him and not the world and not the things of it. So we're going to close our eyes now.